And with that, I will uh, recognize our friends from Maria Aid. Uh, I'll try to get Lesia back up, who just had a little drop, but I can see that Lubomir is already with us. And uh, in addition to that, we have Uliana and Yaroslav. So, a uh, very good evening to everybody. I hope you can hear us. Let's do a quick mic check. Lubomir, Lesia, Yaroslav, Uliana, give me a ding. Hello. Hello, Ron. Hello. Perfect. All right. Hello. Uliana? Good evening as well. Super. Perfect. Wonderful. Wonderful well, to hear you all. Yes. Sounds about right. Now, on a day of such good news, I think we can um, make this even better. We can talk about an organization which is very dear to us here at Mirror Report. Uh, yeah, I don't know. How should we put this? Our sisters, our brothers, our cousins, our family from Maria 8, which has done a tremendous job in the last year since being founded. We spoke about last time and Rubomir was the kindest to join us and we gave people a bit of context and detail and background as to how uh, Maria 8 was founded, what it has done. And we highlighted already and Rubomir was the kindest to guide us through the tremendous effort which has been undertaken in regard to demining in Ukraine. And it was promised that we would talk to people who have been part and parcel of the program. And that includes, of course, in this case, Uliana and Yaroslav. Maybe, um, Uliana, maybe you want to introduce yourself and Yaroslav? Sure, with pleasure. Uh, so my name is Uliana. I have been involved with uh, the military training for the past six years already. And uh, since the full-scale uh, invasion, and because the fact that we managed to create uh, Maria Aid, so I shifted completely to uh, demining training. So this is where I've been, and this is what I've been doing for the last year and a half, even more now, actually. So looking forward to this discussion and conversation. Thank you very much. Yaroslav, tell us a little bit more as to what you're doing in the ZSU. Oh, hello to everyone. Uh, my name is Yaroslav. I'm a major of Ukrainian Armed Forces. Uh, my position is a quality control officer. Uh, here I'm training for for getting a new knowledges and uh, to rise my skills. Alrighty, and then we have Lesia. Lesia, you are not only uh, closely related to our panel, quite literally, but uh, you've also been organizing uh, this evening. Why don't we talk a little bit about what currently is being done by Maria Eight and what the task is? Yes. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Axel. Thank you, everybody. Um, great to be here. Uh, indeed, we, we've been working uh, very hard. I, uh, I've been, uh, since the end of March, um, focusing on maintaining and keeping the spirit of Maria 8 as a 100% volunteer organization, um, you know, that involves uh, numerous networks and, uh, and uh, you know, um, I suppose uh, connections all across the uh, the globe, keep that spirit going and keep our good work, you know, going full steam ahead uh, with the team. Um, in this uh, last half year or so, we've sent uh, numerous, uh, like we've continued to do the medical and uh, clinical and uh, also tactical medical aid uh, packages and, and shipments. Uh, actually, since we were um, since we started in uh, early uh, uh, March uh, 2022, I suppose one could say end of February 2022, uh, we've sent 10 sea shipments and 20 
air and personal shipments. So, you know, just in terms of aid and, and, and the um, contributed in-kind uh, donations that we've received, uh, you know, just it's been, uh, uh, I don't know how, how many million uh, millions of dollars, but back six months ago, it was about at six million at that point. And um, and for all of this time, we've also been working uh, with Ulyana, um, our fantastic volunteer and uh, EOD coordinator, uh, on uh, training, training Ukrainians. Um, and so uh, originally uh, it was uh, NGU and the uh, emergency services personnel that were being trained in, uh, in Central Europe. And now it is uh, the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and uh, we'll be uh, speaking about that today. That's our uh, big project, and uh, we, we're fund fundraising for that training because uh, it's, not, um, it's not inexpensive. It includes, you know, uh, room and board and, and everything uh, that goes along with uh, eight weeks of training for these uh, amazing heroes who are uh, putting their their health, their their lives, uh, um, you know, on the line for for the lives of others, and uh, and so just uh, I'll just uh, summarize or uh, conclude by saying that uh, I've been keeping up all this time with Olana and her amazing uh, pace of work, and uh, I often contact her. I, I, I regularly contact her and sort of ask her, you know, am I am I still up to date? Because you're working so hard and doing so much that uh, it's uh, it's almost a full time job just keeping track of everything and making sure that uh, that everybody uh, everybody knows what 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 good work is being done and and people are able to uh, support it. Yeah, Ulyana, you're receiving a lot of praise, but then again, I think it's hard earned. Uh, you're currently at an undisclosed location in Central and Eastern Europe um, and on the program. Can you tell us a little bit more about the program, how many people are going through it, what's being done at the moment and what the plan is? First of all, I'd like to say thank you for all these wonderful words, because uh, as we are actually like full time volunteers and unpaid, uh, it is very important for every volunteer to uh, at least know that that job is appreciated. Uh, so as for the course, so, um, well, we've been working on uh, the um, EOD explosive ordnance disposal operators training uh, since April 2014, uh, and we've done like obviously, unfortunately, and I apologize for not being able to give like a lot of details and numbers so far. We will as soon as we get the permission from the security uh, department, but. Uh, We've trained like hundreds of people uh, already, uh, and at some point last year, the general staff of Ukraine requested that we fundraise and we organize uh, a bigger project to train armed forces EOD uh, operators. So this is what we are doing right now. Currently, we're in stage two of that project. Uh, the first one was training uh, the mine action center personnel, uh, and we have we have done that successfully. So now we're in stage two, where we train uh, the explosive ordnance disposal uh, instructors, basically. And I'll be honest, uh, this is one of my favorite groups, and. Uh, they are so dedicated. Uh, we're uh, at the moment. We have twelve people 
of them uh 10 are male and two are female and uh all of them are working really hard every day in extended hours and uh hardly any weekends basically to pull off uh, that big project that the general staff requested us to do um and the next stages will be once we've trained um uh the instructors and with the help of the international community uh we're working hard on fundraising to train those hundreds of EOD operators for the armed forces of Ukraine in the next 14 months now that's the key thing you just said it hundreds of EOD operators last time when we spoke about uh, the amount of uh, say personnel required to demine the country with kit of course with additional assistance and support and uh, some new um components and new toys but still this is a person's business it's a high risk business and it's very hard to learn and you have to be exceptionally focused to go through the um say various EOD levels to become a certified IMS instructor um i would like to take the time to highlight this essentially what it, what what is the time and what does it cost to create just one expert can you tell us about it i will not be able to say again the precise prices because that is also a sensitive information for those who provide those services for us but time wise roughly um, roughly so okay. you get a get a rough feel for it so first of all we need to understand that there are levels of training uh the very basic level is level 1 and 2 combined that it lasts for four weeks for Ukrainians it can be shorter for international but we have to incorporate translation into that so it's four weeks and it's like let's say the commercial price uh is around say 10,000 uh US dollars we in Maria Aid and myself specifically negotiated uh that price to be like more affordable for uh an NGO so uh, we pay less than that but still uh it is quite expensive pretty much uh, every level cost approximately the same but uh, technically after level 2 a person has to level 2 only allows you to locate the items and dispose only one or a few let's say up to five items at a time uh so that is not anything unfortunately that will be enough for the situation that we have in Ukraine which is the most contaminated country in the world in terms of explosive ordnance now so uh we are aiming at training people uh like the basic training for them will be up to level 3 uh and that training will take 8 months and obviously the commercial price for that one uh would be around 20,000 US dollars again as in Maria it negotiated it for a more favorable uh, rate uh then after that again level 3 ends they have to go back uh get more experience with the level 3 they can do bulk demolitions which is uh up to 50 kilograms and I'm so sorry I'm not great with pounds but it's around 100 pounds of um explosives at a time so that is a lot more 
suitable for Ukraine, and that will still be basic. Uh, in my uh, longer-term dreams, and I understand that it's not in my lifetime that I will see Ukraine completely cleared, uh, but in my longer-term ter- dreams, uh, I understand that I need to train them for level 3+, plus, which is like after six months, after the certification, the level 3 certification, they, they can come back for level 3+, plus, which is a little more expensive than what I said before. Um, and that way they will be able to dispose of uh, the airdrop bombs and guided missiles that are unfortunately also too many in Ukraine right now and many of them fail to function so they need to be disposed of at some point and then you probably heard that um, uh, the Russians every time they deoccupy well when actually our forces liberate uh, certain areas there's a huge problem with booby traps uh, and improvised uh, explosive devices and that is yet another course that is so far in the longest of my dreams uh so my like the most realistic dream right now is training hundreds of hundreds of people up to level three which in itself is as you just said uh time consuming requires a lot of dedication costs a lot of money and uh you said before and hundreds and hundreds of people what do you think is a realistic assumption the CSU needs to have in order to get rid of those uh, mines across, what, 174,000 square kilometers uh, contaminated with unexploded ordnance? Well, there are actually uh, different um, estimations uh, across even the ministries uh, of Ukraine. And uh, the, the, let me tell you this way. Um, there is this unofficial theoretical rule uh, among Ukrainian EOD operators that one day of warfare equals to 30 days of clearance. We are probably about 500 days now. So last time I calculated it needs, like we need 50 years to clear. And our Ministry of Defense uh, officially stated that we need to train 5,000 operators more than we already have so yes i do want to train hundreds of eod operators but i understand that even that uh, i mean that will be very important for the country but i also am thinking already of how can we do it better larger maybe not faster because this is not the sphere where you can go faster Uh, but yes definitely bigger numbers I hope I could train at least 1,000, to be honest. That's a very, very, very tall order and a good number. And uh, thank you for highlighting this. There's the saying about slow is fast when it comes to things which matter uh, because it's steady and it gets the job done. Um, when you train currently for a level, maybe you can give people a bit, bit of a better understanding. My friend and colleague here, David, obviously having been a sapper and a royal engineer, does understand the topic significantly better than I ever could. But could you give people a better understanding as to what it entails to train and how focused you must be in locating and uh, then exposing and destroying uh, such munitions and how risky it is even in training? 
well, training so far and uh, the um, training staff that uh, we are working with, uh, they have like perfectly clear track record for the last 10 years. So they never had any casualty within their training environment uh, ever since they exist. Uh, yet, like the casual um, and generally, so with the training that we are providing is uh, the IMAS International Mine Action Standards compliance. So if you actually follow all these like rules and regulations and standard operating procedures uh, that are, again, IMAS compliant, then honestly, it, it is next to impossible to get injured. And this is something that I love about this training. Like, you know, before the full-scale invasion, I was training artillery and infantry uh, and NCOs and so on. And you can't help but grieving every time you lose someone. So it's been a year and a half now. Uh, again, we've trained a few hundred people. But even a year and a half later, each and every a single one of them is alive and well and not injured and everything's good to go. So that's why I feel actually quite confident about that training that we are providing. Uh, what happens, in fact, like what happens if you, the injuries and the casualties are actually appearing when you step away from those uh, instructions and standard operating procedures this is when uh, all these uh, incidents, incidents and accidents actually happen. So that's why, that's why I'm trying even harder to train more uh, and more people so that they learn other ways, the ways that Ukrainian armed forces and all Ukrainian defense uh, or agencies do not train yet. I'm sure they will at some point in the future. We are working on that. But at this point, um, I do feel good about the fact that we are training the safest ways, ways of disposing of uh, the items. And then the, another, the only problem with this is, again, that people have to stick to those uh, rules and regulations and SOPs. Uh, and the problem you know, that they are facing when they're going back to Ukraine is that the contamination is so huge and every Ukrainian citizen who returns back to uh, their hometown and trying to return back to a sort of normality that you can get uh, in Ukraine at the moment, they are always asking to make things faster, come to their house, check their house, check their backyard, check their far farm field. And when you get tired too much, when you get uh, over-tasked, uh, when you're trying to cut the corners, this is when the uh, casualties are happening. So, again, we are, tra we are training our people to stay safe. A very good point. Uh, hey, let's, let's have a little word also with Yaroslav. Uh, what have you seen thus far? What have you learned? Excuse me, you're learning. You're asking for learning. Yeah, I was, I was um, trying to tie in your um, general experience and how it, ties, how it pertains to the demanding effort and demanding training. Yeah, actually, if speaking about the demanding center, where we are learning, so actually, are very good educated guys. Uh, they have uh, a good experience. They have uh, 
big case of knowledges, big bag of knowledges. So they could share with their experience with a demolition, with how to work the booby traps, with trip wires, with airdrop bombs, with missile rocket systems, which very important for us because in Ukraine, as you know, very contaminated area with airdrop bombs and missile rockets systems, perhaps. So actually, as for me and uh, for our guys, it's very interesting. Uh, especially, it's very important to learn how to do these items in the proper way, how to obey those all procedures which I must teach us. So, because uh, the lives of people and uh, miners are very important. So, this is, this, this is the big reason to, to learn all the information which they give us. Very good. And uh, maybe you can speak a little bit more about um, also your personal experience in uh, within the armed forces what your background is and how this came to be okay actually uh, i uh, had some experience with uh, mining some ammunition store which was destroyed in ukraine several years ago before the the war for russian invasion so uh, i was uh, faced with uh, different type of uh, shells uh, rocket systems, hand grenades, and other dangerous items. Uh, since um, Russian invasion, I worked as a team lead, the mining team lead. Our task was to clear houses and to check the roads if they are safe to move with that. Actually, we was faced with uh, different types of booby traps, which was uh, laid by Russian troops. Some of uh, buildings was also behind. So actually, it was pretty difficult to uh, clear these areas because uh, there were a lot of difficult uh, items for the mining. What kind of equipment is currently being used in training? Can you, um, all of you, maybe enlighten us a little bit? Because uh, I'm no expert um, into mining. I've seen it done. Yes, I think we had one course when I was young, uh, which we had to go through, as everybody had to go through and get, uh, say, familiar with it. But uh, maybe you can explain a little bit as to how uh, mining training in uh, 2023 within the Ukraine Armed Forces is done and with what? Actually, the training center show us uh, newest uh, types of uh, detectors, uh, equipment, uh, visors, uh, body armor. Also, we use the some types of of uh, metal detectors, new metal detectors. I think uh, this knowledge will help us to work with these items if we will be provide a visit uh, for our partners. Uh, actually, uh, so if we are speaking about um, uh, dangerous items, so uh, this training center 
it has a lot of uh, items from different countries so it's very interesting to learn and it's very important to learn how do they work how to work with them what is safety rules or unsafety rules Uliana, you had something to add to this? Yes, actually, it was interesting for me to find out uh, a little more about uh, the EOD training in uh, 2023. Something, well, first of all, yes, we do um, have like a lot of locators and uh, it is like the next uh, level, but uh, this group already checked out the bomb locators, which is another uh, type of equipment that uh, among the engineer units that I know, I'm not sure. No one told me in Ukraine that they have these bomb locators. But um, something that I envision is uh, the future of uh, EOD and something I hope uh, this group of future instructors uh, will be able to work on and uh, analyze a little more is the use of uh, UAVs, uh, just off-the-shelf UAVs. Because there are, there's a lot of push right now in Ukraine to use UAVs at least uh, for a non-technical survey, uh, for reconnaissance. But it, there is also a push and the tries uh, of using the UAVs to uh, help dispose some of the most dangerous items with uh, the so-called uh, uh, influence fuses where an operator cannot approach the item uh, because it's unsafe for that operator. So this is something that I envision should be probably one of the uh, like large-scale aims of our project is to try to use UAVs more because this is not anything that any humanitarian mine action uh, agency is using extensively at, at the moment and there are no standard operating procedures of the usage of UAVs. So this is what I envision should be used in the future. But at the training center, we also have uh, a robot, so and also unmanned system, but that's on the ground, uh, and that is that very useful again for the future Ukrainian courses in um, improvised explosive device disposal. So uh, that and a little more of the equipment is that, and my favorite, in fact, uh, is the use of the so-called low order techniques. Uh, Low-order techniques are usually the assets that are not as expensive as locators and detectors usually are. And they help you dispose of the items um, in a safer way in terms that it doesn't, the item does not explode completely. It does go off a little bit, but the power of that explosion is... Uh, uh, a lot smaller than uh, that of uh, a high order, which is like complete disposal of uh, an item. So these low order techniques is something that I um, emphasize a lot uh, during each of our groups. And this is something new to each group because all of these techniques are still not entirely available in Ukraine. And this is yet another push uh, from me and within Media Aid as well that we uh, provide the aid in the form of um, thermite lenses. So this is 
um, basically like pyro torch that you aim at the item and you dispose of it in the safest way you burn it that's it it doesn't go off it doesn't hurt it doesn't have that same range as uh, an item would usually have uh, it's just a lot smaller burning usually now um, quick question how many how many of those who have been trained thus far are currently live in theater well, pretty much 90%. There are literally like the minority of who tried it and they realized, or we realized that uh, it is not a good idea to have them out as a D minor uh, yet. Uh, those 10% remaining, uh, they can still be involved in um, uh, MRE. So it's a mine risk education or explosive ordinance risk education. So they can still inform people. So they have enough knowledge of the items to inform civilians and children uh, of what they should be aware of, especially in those areas that have been liberated. That's a very high quota or ratio, if I may say. 90% is surprisingly high. But then again, uh, you are fighting in an existential war. Probably the motivation is a different one. But if I compare this to other, uh, say, MOS trainings, uh, specifically those which re require such um, focus, concentration, and um, I would call this cold-bloodedness, I think you know what I mean, um, as demining, 90% is a fairly good ratio, don't you think? Uh, it is, but something that I noticed because there are, let's say, it seems you lost audio. I think she needs to recycle. All righty. But in the meantime, Lesia, I wanted to revert back to uh, what Maria Aid in the, uh, has been doing, what uh, Maria Aid itself has been doing and contributing because it has been quite a program. And you've been running it now for more than a year uh, in that regard and supporting. Um, these efforts and training. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes, uh, yes. So we, it's been uh, well over a year now that we've been working on this, um, and we um, we've uh, so far uh, provided uh, four hundred and thirty-three thousand uh, dollars, mostly uh, in uh, raised funds um, put forth towards the training itself. Uh, it being, uh, you know, sort of our area of focus in terms of, uh, you know, really making um, a serious impact and having a, a very um, very big, uh, like like we were saying earlier, that the task is colossal. So we do need to pick away, you know, at it, and we need to do, we need to put through ten, twelve people at a time, twenty if we can, if we can handle that. But financially, you know, usually looking at um, at ten is doable. You know, we're looking at approximately a hundred thousand dollars per grouping of ten. So uh, yes, we've we've sent uh, and and supported. Uh, over 30 people now. Um, so that's like really quite something I think uh, extraordinary for a small organization like ours, relatively small that is. Uh, the, the, the volunteers are, uh, are uh, amazing and uh, make up for uh, any small numbers we have. Uh, I guess uh, we, we, um, we, we're uh, in sync with the Ukrainians on, on that in terms of uh, working very, very hard. Uh, I won't exaggerate by saying night and day, but practically. <laughs> To uh, to put it to to give our time uh, for this, and um, 
you know, what one responsibility that we do have at Media Aid, and that is uh, the the board of directors and the uh, the core volunteer group uh, that meets regularly with Ulana. That uh, you know, we 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 look at all of the details, we we review the requests for the funding needed, and uh, we try to. Um, to go over and beyond, you know, for example, to really look at at safety and the safety of the uh, of the operators and of the personnel being trained. And uh, one thing we would like to do is to uh, raise money for the at least a thousand thermite uh, lances for the training and uh, then for some to be uh, put out in the field as people uh, leave the training and go out into the field. Uh, you know, a thousand is a good good place to start and that would be approximately uh, 30,000 US dollars uh, for a thousand. Uh, Ulana and uh, Yaroslav could probably explain, uh, you know, how exactly uh, how exactly that helps uh, the the safety situation of people being trained. Um, we're also working hard um, putting together and submitting proposals for government funding. Uh, I mean, we're looking at a three million dollar project here, so we've uh, sort of chipped off four hundred thousand, and we're continuing fundraising for specific things that have an immediate impact. But you know, ultimately, we will need some help from from government and other agencies, uh, and so we are reaching out actively. Uh, I think I spend at least three full days a week, if not four, doing just that: reaching out and uh, you know, making sure that Ulana. Yaroslav and everybody else there uh, on the ground in the training center and then, uh, you know, back in Ukraine who is who are still connected to this program and uh, in touch with uh, with Ulana, that they know that they're they're We have their backs where we are working and doing everything we can to to supply them with the training with colleagues who are trained, uh, with future people joining them uh, to to joining the ranks in this uh, colossal task of demining Ukraine. And, you know, to make sure that we can look into these drones, these UAVs, uh, these uh, thermite lances and anything else we can provide to improve the, uh, the um, impact that we need to all be making together on this. And... Um, you know, maybe there there will be an opportune moment. Uh, you know, in the in the next uh, few minutes to uh, to speak to like how people can contribute specifically, whether it's for the thermite lances or this uh, the the next uh, urgent uh, training uh, uh, group, the next cohort we would like to send. We would like to send another cohort. Uh, to be trained before and to be cert fully certified uh, to the level three before the end of 2023. And that will cost 100,000. Uh, actually, to be precise, 85,000 US, which is about 115,000 Canadian uh, dollars. And so uh, we do have a special uh, uh, web page set up at our mediaaid.ca uh, website. And there we've got, you know, the appropriate uh, payment platform for that. And so just to let everybody know, uh, every dollar that comes in, we're putting towards towards the uh, demining uh, program. And uh, and so this is uh, the uh, mediaaid.ca uh, website. And, um, you know, I know that we we as an organization can't issue tax receipts, uh, but I suppose uh, Canadians and uh and and Europeans who who uh, you know don't uh, don't don't have an income in the U.S. or don't have to uh, file uh, an income uh, tax uh, 
tax process in the U.S., they 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 could certainly uh, contribute to the Canadian one. Uh, for our Canadians, uh, our fellow Canadians, we we can't issue the tax receipts. But uh, the way I see it, because uh, I know I contribute my own uh, money in in, uh, in our family funds, I, I see the money going, uh, you know, so much further than it would for other, in, you know, for contributions in other organizations. So, uh, anyways, I'm sorry to uh, sort of uh, <laughs> have migrated over to the to the uh, uh, donations and and uh, funding side of things, but you know, in my work, uh, especially as I'm asking uh, various uh, individual donors and. Uh, Fund uh, funding bodies uh, for money uh, that is at the fore, and ultimately, you know, we we do have to uh, to help out by by paying those uh, by paying for that uh, all of that training and everything. So uh, people have been fantastic uh, in reaching out and asking us how they can help, and uh, we're very grateful uh, to be on uh, to hear uh, Ulana and Yaroslav's uh, perspective on this uh, in the Maria Report community. Thank you. Yeah, very much appreciated. I'm trying to bring Uliana back because she dropped away yet again at the same point in time. Let's see how that goes. And Uliana, can you hear us? Uliana, right. <clears throat> I was wondering uh, when we were interrupted with you, and Lesia was the kindest to highlight the um, funding side of the matter in the meantime, but um, we're talking about the, the high level of motivation on the one hand of those who go into training and how many of them actually are now already on site and in theater. Could you, can you tell us a little bit more about, because we hear uh, often that um, Ukrainian demining has a lot of fatalities still because of the, the way the Russians have mined, the way they have laid the UXOs and uh, that essentially that a lot of uh, people, both behind the front lines as well as close to the front lines have had uh, both fatal injuries as well as losing limbs. Can you speak a little bit about um, um, how that has impacted the troops you've trained? Uh, sure. So just to finish for uh, finish the thought that I had before really quick, and I'm sorry we're in a bit remote location, so that's why. Not a problem. Yeah, for motivation, uh, I've seen non-Ukrainian groups and their failure rate is uh, higher but their like their approach their motivation their discipline is different than that of Ukrainian uh, uh, defenders both both male and female so that dedication is something that is actually making Ukrainian groups uh, stand out and that is, that is not only from me that is from the, uh, the instructors as well as for the casualties, uh, well, yes, it is unfortunate. Like, unfortunately, we are tracking, or like, we have to we have to keep track of all the casualties among what we call sappers, deminers. First of all, because we need to understand uh, why that happened, uh, and it, it is true that Russians are too creative in making their primarily booby traps. Uh, so that is from what I've seen so far, uh, that is the number one reason why people, uh, the sappers, the EOD operators get uh, injured and killed. Another re reason is that, so again, if we are training sappers deminers they can only be employed in the rear they cannot be 
anywhere close to the front line right now because this is humanitarian mine action. Humanitarian mine action is supposed they are supposed to work in more permissive uh, environments. Any casualties that uh, you hear of is usually from the recently liberated areas and uh, from, uh, uh, let's see, units and commanders who demand to clear areas faster, which is, again, not anything we train, not anything we recommend. Uh, and I will also make sure that the people that we train are only employed in the manner that uh, the international mine action standards require. So that is also like a big part of uh, my job right now in communicating with uh, the armed forces of Ukraine. And the like the, the majority of the casualties are, again, booby traps, uh, mines, and people trying to, well, sappers, EOD operators trying to clear areas a lot faster than, how can I say that right? A lot, a lot faster than they should according to the standards. Let's put it, let's put it that way. All right. I had a question earlier about the equipment being used. As I said, I'm not an expert, but my co-host David tends to be. When he was in, um, the equipment was much older, evidently, I mean, in terms of generational technologies. But then again, the techniques, whilst maybe improved by technology, they are still the same and they still require the same kind of focus. David, would you go into an IMS course today and how, what kind of equipment would you expect to be using? Well, I don't know about the equipment, the, the Fallons and the rest of it in the UK, right? So maybe it'll be something like that. I don't know how much they've changed. Well, I do know they've changed considerably. Of course, 1978 was a very, di very different time. And without a doubt, the techniques will have changed. Uh, the, uh, um, and they changed a little bit going up to 93, uh, but you you know, you would expect technology has moved on. You end up with better mine detectors. So the sort of things that we would use, the sweeps and the rest of it, that they were pretty decent. But I'm I'm being told that Fallons and the the American items are pretty decent. But but the the skills, that's the real issue, is right. So you've got a bit of equipment, but you're right. That bit of equipment is only as good as the operator, right? So how they're able to use it and and the skills that are involved in it are you using your eyes you know and everything around you your senses your common sense right where does something going to be and all of these things uh, uh, you know uh, touch feel depending on what you're trying to do they're very interesting i have by the way i did think i spent a lot of time a while ago um wondering if i would go and do a, a renewal course there's a place up in Bicester that does it i did uh, think a, a lot about it as you know axel so there's uh, gaz who's taking 60 mine detectors uh, to Ukraine very shortly. So I've been talking to him about it. Whether I will or not, I don't know. But yeah, the the, the skills that you need, and, and uh, you know, hopefully everyone will also see this, is that um, it, you've just got to be, you know, rush is something that gets you killed or gets you injured, gets you very seriously injured, and importantly, might get the people around you injured, right? So, so it's just a observing everything that you do. What it, it'll be completely different if you're in a minefield. And it was interesting what you were saying. So, uh, so my question: I'm assuming the reason why you were uh, to, uh, which lady was talking just now, Axel? Uliana. Uliana. So the, the question is to you, Uliana. I think so. So I assume that the reason that you've got is because the, the funds you're raising at the moment are for humanitarian aid, 
so the reason why they're uh, they're clearing mines behind the front line is because essentially that wouldn't be humanitarian aid, would it? That would be helping within the co- within the combat zone, and that would be very different. Would that be correct? Uh, not exactly. I was talking about humanitarian mine action. So the uh, mine action can be roughly divided into military mine action and humanitarian mine action. Military yeah, okay. So I, if you remove the word aid and go make that uh, uh, action as well. What I was trying to say was that the uh, uh, that you were saying you were keeping them in the humanitarian side. Is that because the, where they get – oh, so better question. Is that because – the people who are training them only train that, or is that because of the fund, the way the funds are being raised? Because, of course, if someone said, for instance, you know, here's a hundred thousand dollars, but I want it to be humanitarian, then of course uh, you you are unlikely to be training or sending people off to go and do something else, right? Uh, well, the reason why we are dealing with the humanitarian mine action is primarily because we are all civilians and uh, Maria Aid cannot and will not uh, uh, procure anything lethal at all. So we're dealing with non-lethal, it's only in the rare. I also do not have the skills and the uh, opportunities to train people like sappers uh, to do the frontline minefield breaching and so on. Uh, so humanitarian mine action is what I can fundraise for, but it is, this is something that I can deliver and I have the assets. I mean, by, by the assets, I mean uh, uh, the training center that can provide uh, this training for us, uh, uh, the experienced staff that can provide that training for the defenders of Ukraine. Uh, and because we have so much, uh, un- like we have vast areas in Ukraine that are in the rear and that need to be cleared and where people return to and they cannot live there because or they cannot bring their children there just because their backyard might be contaminated with uh, uh, items of explosive ordnance. Simple as that. No, 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 so, so, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, the, what is it? 140,000 square kilometers or whatever it is. I think they're saying at the moment is now contaminated. Yes, yeah, so I got the understood the bit about the contamination. I was just wondering as to uh, the humanitarian is whether there was specifically that people who were donating were saying it needed to be humanitarian, whether it was going to be the training which actually seems to be more about the delivering the component and yeah very different techniques isn't it if you're breaching a minefield then you would be uh, clearing a field where you've got a whole load of you know around a village for instance to make it safe for them uh, quite different techniques uh, so go back into it i don't uh, so it's major um axel it's major uh, is yaroslav is the major oh yaroslav oh, it's major yaroslav so so at the uh, at the so I've got a real question for Major Yaroslav, which is along the lines of, so uh, did, did you start out in the, uh, did you start out in one field and then move to another? And I mean field, by the way, I mean within the breaching operations, then you move to humanitarian or have you always been in that, in the, in the, uh, the back doing that, your work there or? Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, yes, I had an experience with uh, breaching minefield, but uh, in the start of uh, Russia, full Russian invasion, uh, when uh, our troops will uh, back some of uh, our territories, so we we cleared some uh, 
territories near from the battlefield areas. So place uh, a lot of territory are still contaminated in the in the behind our troops. So uh, we need to do a lot of job. So, no, it's going to be a huge job, isn't it? And every time, every kilometer you go forward, that's going to leave an, a larger area behind you that needs clearing, right? So, yeah, I've, I've, that's, I mean, it just makes it much, uh, it's going to make it a much di more difficult task, isn't it? I do apologize. I was speaking quite quick, quick, uh, quickly. Axel is typing to me, speak slowly. I will try to do that. And I do apologize. Uh, so are you able to tell us a little bit uh, some of the stuff that you've done recently? Uh, you are talking about our course or about uh, missions in Ukraine? Well, uh, you know, mine clearance that you've done in Ukraine, some of the, some of the problems you've come across. Uh, so actually, as I mentioned, uh, it was, uh, I had a task uh, which was connected with clearing some roads in the Kharkiv region. Uh, also, my team was working with uh, clearing uh, houses where was uh, positions of uh, our troops. So uh, actually it was uh, several months ago. It was uh, in, the, in the spring. So it, I think it was not so far. Okay, so uh, so in the, in the old days when I, I was doing this, there was basically this sort of a mantra. Uh, we would have a uh, say that you you pull something or you drop something on it, you push it or you blow it blow it in situ way, blow it in, blow it in situ as in the situation. Um, uh, how is that? How does that work with uh, you at the moment with regards to when you're trying to find? booby traps for instance in the old days we would if you saw a door you wouldn't open the door you would break the door down with a a, a big weight right because you don't want to be opening it because it may be booby traps what what sort of is that the sort of thing you're still doing or do you have more technology that can help you actually we always uh, use uh, hooking lines uh, it's a safety for, for health for our for their lives uh, also if we don't have a chance to use the hooking line we destroy the mines in their places so we don't don't lift them with our hands is uh, prohibited in our uh, job yeah no exactly well listen uh, it makes sense uh, the when we when i call pull that's your hooking line Right, the uh, uh, blow in situ, blow it up right next to wherever you are, because that's so much safer, isn't it? You don't want to be handling it if you if you don't want to. Uh, but we used to drop things. Sometimes you might be pressure plates might be there. So one of the things we might do, might have done, which you wouldn't do in a minefield, you might do it on a search in a building. You might drop something because of a pressure plate, but. I could see it, it would be slightly different with you guys. You might just find it easier just to, to blow it up. It's a lot, lot safer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I agree with you because uh, dropping is not safety and we don't work with this method. Yeah, uh, the, the, the dropping component, this is all in um, a long time ago in Northern Ireland. 
where you put re, uh, blowing in situ sometimes was not uh, something that you could do. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah actually, sometimes we could use some uh, low order techniques. Uh, it's a uh, patient give us an opportunity to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, at the very start of the, of the, I think last year, I remember watching a, uh, a little bit of a video uh, with um, someone who was dealing with a, a butterfly uh, mine, and it was by uh, throwing a, uh, a car tire on it. I, I remember thinking that's a very interesting way. Actually, uh, this I saw this video. It's not only one video. It's not. It wasn't only one guy, but I always laughing it, and uh, I always um, telling to my uh, employees, to my guys, don't do that. No, never. Uh, it's better to use the the charge nearby this item. You never don't need to push this item with some stick or something like that. Well, I, I had exactly the same thoughts. Uh, the, I sent a video to a, an old friend of mine uh, from back in the day, and we had a bit of a laugh. Although, in fairness, I remember thinking that, um, that dealing with the butterfly mines, if you had a big tyre around the outside of it and you drop something on top of it, that might work. But I, I certainly wouldn't be thinking about throwing a tire at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm because, glad we dropped laughed at the same thing. Yeah, because uh, it could uh, give you some uh, fragmentation from this tire, and uh, you could uh, take some injuries. Yeah, and you have no idea what's going to come out of that tire, and it might come out yeah. at a thousand miles an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be near the explosives when it goes off. That was that was always the thing that I was taught. Don't be near it when it goes off. Yeah. So I, I do have another question for you. Have you seen those uh, the shoes that some people are wearing? Yeah, I saw. It's. Uh looks like a spider yeah spider legs yeah yeah actually i saw some uh, items i think it will be great to use them in the especially in the fields because uh, it makes your life more safety your health more safety because it's easily to going through the mine which you don't know if it's contaminating or not uh, so I hope we will have these items in our units in nearest future. I think it's a uh, good stuff. Uh, so my initial thought when I saw it was it would make uh, um, walking difficult and there'd probably be places where you would not be able to use them depending on how much grass there's around. But I was very interested to know how you deal with it. If you've got a field... Personally, I might be inclined to see if I could set fire to the field first so I could see everything instead of wandering through grass, right? Because there's quite a bit of risk in, in grass when you can't see everything. Is that something you, you guys are able to do? No, actually, we don't use this method. We don't incender the grass in the fields. I think these items uh, are better to use in some... Uh, assault missions or something like that 
when you don't have enough time to uh, use your metal detector or something like that. Actually, I in this moment I uh, have never been used this uh, item, so I can't uh, in the in real missions, so I can't tell you more about this. So what we need to do is try and get you a pair so you can so you can report back and say how good they are, right? Yeah, it will be great. Uh, I'll follow you and we'll see what we can do, right? That seems like the thing to do. So I'm interested. So you is that a policy that you can't burn the grass or is it because the grass it's not dry enough to burn or what, what's the reasoning behind that? Because it's unsafe for uh, inhabitants... Uh, for their property. Also, we could burn our minefields, which we could use in our future. So actually, it's better to use a, a metal detector and uh, sometime when you need to make a, you know, like a bridge minefields or clear the field only the road, it's better to cut the grass. Uh, and uh, so that was my question, really. So because there's a difference, isn't there? So some minefields are mixed minefields. You'll have uh, AP mines. So they might have butterfly mines or something in there, as well as anti-tank mines. Uh, I, I get the point absolutely about your anti-tank mines, if you can reuse them. But there's risk involved with that as well. Uh, but how do you deal with the AP mines and long grass? How do you cut the grass? Is that a scythe or? Actually, if we are speaking about the humanitarian my action, we use uh, one meter wide uh, way. So we must uh, cut the grass if it's safe. If you are speaking about the safety territory gaps. <laughs> so you need to cut the grass. And uh, after that, uh, you could uh, use your metal detector and uh, to check if it's if there is any uh, any personal mines. And what do you cut the grass with? That's my question. Okay, uh, we are cutting the grass with special scissors. If we or if we don't have any suspicious about tripwires, we use um, mechanic uh, scissors or something like that or trimmer. Uh, okay, I, I get you because uh, th you've highlighted something because there is always a risk of uh, tripwire, isn't there? So as soon as you're cutting something and you're not sure what's below it. So I don't know this question. I'm very interested. So are the butterfly mines, can you pick them up with a mine detector? To repeat your question, please. The butterfly mines, can you pick them up? Uh, are they pick, can you pick them up with a mine detector? I mean, will it detect a butterfly mine? Yeah, if you, if you increase your sensitivity in your metal detector, it's, uh, you could find mm. it. Okay. Uh, I don't think, in, the, in my days, I don't think we thought that the, the mine detectors we had weren't very good for that. But the, at the time, we thought maybe they wouldn't detect it. That's very good. Uh, I want to add something about uh, cutting the grass. Uh, before the cutting, we just use some uh, filler, which, uh, which we use to make sure that uh, there is no any tripwires. So, in, in the in the old days, uh, we used to use uh, for finding uh, tripwires. It would be a um, a uh, 
a close, uh, yeah, a, um, I'm trying to think of the word now, just a piece of wire. Uh, the uh, it, Normally it would be a, 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 a shirt hanger or a clothes hanger. You would unwire, unwind it and then just put a little circle at the end and move it very, very slowly uh, to see if you could find the tripwire. Uh, actually, we use the same technique, but uh, we try to use some plastic sticks. Ah, okay, right, it makes sense. You can make, be able to make them a bit lighter as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So the old days, they still work? Yeah. Yeah, and of course, then you've got the most valuable tool uh, that you have, which is your eyes, right, and your brain. Yeah, it's, it's the first uh, items which we need to use our eyes and our we need to analyze what, what we are watching. So, so have you got to the point, uh, so uh, for me, that after about, uh, you know, I've been doing it about three months, I'd get to a point where I'd go, in my mind, I'd go, there could be something there. There's less risk of something being there. There's a lot of risk of something being over there. And then my mind started getting into the devious side of, if I was laying something, this is where I would put it. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. We always, uh, we'd always try to think as our enemies. So we must suspect uh, as uh, difficult uh, items as we, as we know. Have you got to the point where you have a competition where you say there was one there, there's one there, uh, there's one there, <laughs> and you go, okay, oh, that was right, that was right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, soldiers, they don't change. <laughs> so, and then there will be some beers on who won, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a best solution. Yes, it very much is. It very much is. Listen, I'm going to give you over to Axel at the moment. I'm going to think of a more some sensible questions for you. But thank you very much, Yaroslav, for answering my questions. Thank you for questions. Yaroslav, can you talk a little bit about how big your teams typically are? If you go, in, uh, if you go into the field, how many of your sappers are with you um, in support of, uh, yeah, for example, uh, unit which has identified a field? Uh, usually, my team include uh, five or six members. It's uh, enough for uh, dealing with uh, our tasks. And then uh, the, the typical situation you're currently confronted with, how, how many hours do you have to actually go into the field? Is it, uh, uh, are these very, very long days at the moment or is it very focused and there is a break and then you do the next one? What um, to give people who are not sappers um, say some capacity to relate to how your day looks like. Uh, actually, it depends on their uh, knowledges and experience with the mining. So, actually, we try do not work more than four uh, or five uh, hours per day. Uh, actually, it depends on the weather, if it's uh, hot or if it's rainy. So we could we try to change the our work of our time, time of our work. And you need a good amount of rest and very, very decent sleep and exercise to take your mind off it because the level of concentration which you have to mount and the adrenaline going through, through your body must be insanely high. Yeah, you always must be 
very careful and Malin, uh, as for me, it, it always in the normal point. I try to keep my minds uh, frozen <laughs> or cold. <laughs> I called it cold-blooded before, and I understand. What yeah, you yeah. And uh, these people forget that you can't concentrate for five hours in a row, is it? The your concentration lapses. You know, thirty minutes in, you suddenly go, "My brain isn't working. My eyes aren't working properly. Time for, for me to." take a break from what you're doing because uh, the uh, as soon as you're not concentrating and that's the point where you make a mistake and they'll be catastrophic yeah i agree with you it's better to take uh, more rest or time for break and uh, start work again or sometimes when i see when i when my people are retired i could uh, stop my job if i have a uh, time so it's the panel situation. Actually, yeah. if it's a, a summer, so we're trying to start our work uh, as uh, soon as possible at uh, five o'clock or, or six o'clock when just the sun is rising up. Uh, do you want to tell everyone why? Because I, I thought about the summer because it's not so hot in this period. So we could, uh, we can finish our task till 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, because when it's 40 degrees, right, the last thing you want to be is in the middle of a field, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've felt your pain, but I haven't felt that pain in the United Kingdom. It doesn't get that hot. Can we talk a little bit about how minds move, unfortunately, with what is now upcoming? The, the mud season, and then later with the snow and ice cover. Uh, the, the challenges, uh, David was so kind as to highlight this a few times here on the space when we discuss these matters. The challenges will increase, right? Mm. As minds move. Yes, sometimes if, uh, if minds were laying in some hills or near from rivers or ponds or lakes, uh, they could move. The reason of their moving is uh, underground water, so it could be a reason for their moving. Uh, but I think snow, it's not an, a factor of their moving. No, no, I, I didn't say that snow was a factor of moving. I said snow is, I was about to refer to the next question, and snow, of course, is a treacherous cover and uh, will make uh, finding some of the mines even more difficult than before. Whilst if you then were to step on something, the com snow that you compress with your foot would then exert the same kind of pressure downwards. So uh, you're just more at risk, are you not? Uh, yeah, I agree with you that uh, in the winter when it's, the snow is laying on, on the ground, it's pretty easier to step on the mine. But uh, we are trying to avoid the mining in the snow areas where the snow or we use factors uh, and uh, increase the sensitivity uh, to to avoid uh, missing miss, missing up the mines all right absolutely um we have a hand from one of our friends and colleagues up who's been also in the service in the US Daryl 
Good afternoon. Uh, Major, you were mentioning the cold. Uh, do you find, do you think that um, during the cold weather, um, a lot of farmers here, um, rocks tend to come up because of the heaving in the winter. Um, have you seen any effects like that um, with mines where they would heave out of the ground uh, with the change of the ground temperatures where it would freeze and then thaw and, you know, and raise uh, things up out of it, particularly like some of the mines. I know you've only gone through one winter here, but uh, I was just wondering, was that a phenomenon that you had seen in the spring? I'm sorry, I just have to probably double check that because I had a hard time uh, understanding uh, the question as well. So it is like how the winter affects the mine and how the winter affects where the mine lanes, is that correct? Yes, how in here with farmers, they have to uh, go when they but after the thaws, usually rocks and stones rise up out of the ground. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, does the same thing happen with the mines? Um, I know you've only gone through one winter, but did you see any of that? Yeah, actually, we had some uh, situations but it's not uh, popular, if I could say that. So there was a few, only a few uh, times when I saw the mines which were uh, lifted from the ground by, uh, by ground. Okay, and you were mentioning the butterfly mines with, um, uh, uh, with my colleague here. And I was just wondering, are you finding a lot of them still? Um, and particularly, are you finding them in the civilian areas or just in, uh, say, some of the uh, forested areas? Uh, actually, nowadays, it's a little bit uh, difficult to find them because uh, a lot of them uh, had uh, self-destructions. They, they was they were self-destructed, so, but uh, you could make sure that you will not find them in the future because uh, some of these uh, butterflies don't have a self-destruction mechanism. So actually, we still have a chance to work with them. And you mentioned the timeline. Um... Is there a timeline in which you have been given to clear an area, or is this just a self-directed uh, time? Yeah, actually, it's uh, depend on the situation because uh, sometimes uh, you have a territory uh, and uh, you have a time approximately a week or ten days. Uh, and you could uh, choose uh, how much work could you do per day. So actually, it only depends on the situation and on the task. Sometimes we could work uh, six or eight hours per day with some breaks, but uh, sometimes we could work only four or three hours or five. The different situation, different work, different methods of work. And for the buildings, 
I understand you've got you've gone through a lot of buildings. Um, do you go in after the DOD personnel, or do you, uh, or do they just assign you a building um, as they fall as they fall as they go through, and you know to the next objective? Um, is you know when they assign you say, hey, this building is it basically they want that built that tick building, or is it one where the military has used? But they want to make sure it's clear. Okay, um, I want to make sure if I understand it's correct. You are asking about uh, if I had a task, if I have a task uh, only for special buildings, or if I must to clear all buildings in the street. Like if they give you a building, I'm I'm sure that they want all of them clear. But if they give you a particular building. Um, say the military was formerly there, but now they're gone, but they want to make sure that building is uh, clear. Uh, is that something that they would give you, or would they just keep it cordoned off, uh, being that the military had already gone through it? Um, actually, if this building uh, are necessary for using, so we need to clear it. If, if some uh, local people returned from uh, from their, uh, if some local people are returned to their homes and uh, they are waiting for clearing their homes, it's also our task to to do it as soon as possible for for the for their living there. Thank you for that. Um, I guess the the other questions were already answered that I had, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to Alan. Action. Thank you for a question. Thank you for the answers. So actually, I do have a, uh, you know, I've had several more questions. But uh, um, uh, Yaroslav, I'm interested to know about the uh, anti-tank mines. I've heard uh, there were some reports that uh, the uh, uh, people were doubling up on mines. So sometimes they would, if you found an anti-tank mine, there may be something laid underneath it as well. Do you see that often? No, actually, I think it's a uh, take them. Situation could be as thirty or forty persons of uh, all uh, minefields, which I which I saw or which I worked with. I'm going to ask you to say that again because I didn't hear. I'm very sorry. Okay, I could say about uh, that. I was. Uh, connected with these types only in 20% or 30% of all my job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so you've, you've not seen it. Okay. That's it. It's still interesting. So it means it's uh, probably not happening very frequently or it's happening somewhere else. Actually, it depends on the territory and uh, which uh, troops were there. Yeah. So it's uh, not obligatory for all territories, each were, were uh, battlefields. Yeah, absolutely. I can see why uh, uh, that people might double up on mines and put a mine underneath it or, or booby trap it. Um, uh, the uh, yeah. So, uh, did you? I think you said you are you in the Kharkiv area, or are you allowed to say, or you're not allowed to say which area you're in at the moment? Actually, I don't want to say about it. No, because... don't say it then. Fine. 
so my next question would be so are you seeing a difference between some you know some of the stuff the russians have laid to where another region for instance right where there are different different units may be laying things differently yeah actually you are right because uh, different uh, units different engineers uh, using uh, sometimes different methods of laying so you must be careful and you must suspect uh, always dangerous situation and uh, booby traps. That's my answer. No, no, thank you. It's a very good answer. Listen, so uh, back in the old days, uh, we would uh, we would have a discussion and go, this is, this is the, the people we think might be operating in this area, right? And that would give us an idea of what we would be doing, but the advice is always, right? But they may not be, right? So we need to keep it out. But as we carry on working, you might see the same sort of thing, and then that will give you an idea, and sometimes it makes uh, the task easier, doesn't it? Right? It's all about the advice. Are you able to give an idea of the sort of... Um, I said speech, isn't it? But they sort of um, uh, before uh, uh, everyone starts working, you go, you start off the day with a, okay, guys, uh, this is what we're doing, and we've got an area of a field. Are you able to give an idea of the sort of uh, thing that you take your guys through? Yeah, I always instruct my team the type of field area. I always uh, share with all information which I took from my chief so i try to explain what we must suspect in this field so i try to explain to my uh, employees rules in how to work in this type of field so it's a obligatory rule yeah, because you want to remind everyone at the start of the day that, that listen, you're starting something dangerous. These are the things you need to remember. Uh, the normally in, so I say, I go, keep on talking about the old days. This is the days when Caesar was still a trooper. Uh, but yeah, we would draw it out maybe in a you know in a piece of paper, or sometimes we would draw it uh, on the ground to go. This is the area we've got. This is this position. You know, this is north, west, south, etc., and then draw out the map and say, this is where we believe uh, there are a number of mines, and then we would take it from there. And then, uh, because this is before computers, right, so uh, then what we would do is then draw out a map on a piece of A4, and then if we found something, we would be, <laughs> we would be writing X marks the spot, right? Yeah, actually... Uh... I tried to do it um, the day before our task. Uh, I'm trying to use uh, Google Maps or uh, Google Earth when I have some internet connection. So this is the way for explaining. And uh, in the in the before the task on the field, I explain our guys one more time where is a safe territory, where is not safe, where is the south, where is the west. Where is the main roads? Because uh, everything could happen. Yeah, I mean, and so many things, right? So, are you able to use uh, sort of um, a plant a pin where you find something? Are you marking them like that, or do you do you register? And you go, okay, found, you know, butterfly mine here, you know, uh, an 
an anti-tank mine here. Is this the sort of information you also uh, take? Yeah, actually, we we mark our items and uh, we will uh, uh, demolish it in the end of the day. Or if it's uh, if or if it's only one item on the field or a few items, uh, we destroy it uh, as soon as it's, as it's possible. And how do you mark them? By paint, by sticks. Uh, it depends on the uh, how high is the grass and vegetation. And uh, when I was talking about marking, I was also saying, uh, do you have you know, anything on your phone that you're able to go, uh, so you're able to record at this position, we found something, or, or do you, does that not matter? Actually, we all, any team must have uh, their GPS tracker, so uh, or uh, some uh, special program in his uh, phone or uh, iPod, so he could uh, mark these points and know the exactly place where the uh, the item was founded. And do you also record uh, what what you found? Actually, we record it in our notebooks uh, to avoid uh, writing in it in our uh, gadgets. Yeah. Okay. I I, I get that. Uh, the uh, yeah. I mean, look, because as you know, going back, uh, it, it's always really really useful to know when you've, you come across a field, for instance, you go across a field, you know, it was you know. 20 times this type of mine right so it means that if anyone comes across that area they will know what potentially the risk was and where it came from yeah Yeah. great news great news axel yeah i was trying to tie back in uh we lost uliana for a minute but before i go to lesia i think we still have a question from daryl daryl you want to follow up yeah uh just a uh, couple uh, first of all, have you seen any IEDs um, where the Russians have um, used like old shells, uh, like we've seen with the, um, you know, in the Middle East and Afghanistan and all these places? Have they employed that tactic very much? I get it. Uh, so, especially for me, I uh, didn't work with these items, but my colleagues in uh, and other places in other regions uh, did uh, a lot of job with these devices. And um, are you seeing any different manufacturers, uh, say Chinese, uh, North Korean, or any of that sort? Or are these all hom- homogenous to uh, Russia? Especially, actually, as for me, I uh, never, I have never seen uh, products which was uh, produced by uh, in other countries so actually it was only russian uh, types of uh, ammunition only we could speak about uh, parts of uh, their drones so it could be from another countries and i think this is the this is the million dollar question have you been able to capture uh, any information of mine lane um, activities uh have they been able to capture it and maybe help with the uh, the mine lane or do the russians not use um a map 
per se of how they laid out. Yeah, actually, uh, I uh, had a chance to work with uh, Russian Maps, uh, which was uh, lived by their troops in their old positions when they when when they were when they were running out of there. So, uh, actually, uh, these maps um, are helping to the miners uh, find the minefields uh, much easier. But you always must be careful with this information because it uh, could be fakes. Absolutely, absolutely. Information and disinformation, especially if they know you're going to use it or try to use it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, David, Axel. Thank you very much. Yeah, and we have Uliana back with us. I'm very glad. She found the right spot now, I would hope. All good, 555? Yes, all good. We say 450 in Ukraine, which is all good. Situation under control. <laughs> 450 then. <laughs> back here. All right. As as you just heard, I mean, um, Yaroslav was uh, addressing a number of the questions of our colleagues uh, in regard to what is the day-to-day handling, respectively, uh, the covers. Are you, when you, in your trainings, focus on, um, say, those rather uh, nifty little butterfly mines, what are the kind of, what's the kind of guidance you're giving people? Russians have been using them not only in the field and uh, tying them uh, with uh, little wires and ribbons and threads to trees and in little knicks and, uh, say, near to rivers and riverbeds. But they've also been using them, of course, in pretty much every environment. They've occupied houses therein, uh, behind surfaces, in lit- literally in fridges and kitchens and whatnot. And they've even been hiding them in toys and, unfortunately, also in human bodies. Can you speak a little more as to how you prepare someone for that? So I'd rather uh, probably divide this one into two uh, questions. So where uh, these mines are used uh, as mines, or when you talk when we're talking about fridges and everything else, that is booby trapping uh, already. So uh, what we train uh, uh, our groups is that again, yes. Uh, so especially the PFM ones, uh, the butterflies. Uh, if they have been deployed uh, from a carrier uh, munition, meaning they are there and waiting for their for their victim and before the self-destruct element functions. So if there is a self-destruct element, you cannot approach that item. You have to wait two times uh, the maximum of that self-destruct uh, period just to make sure that everything that has self-destruct will go off. Uh, If it didn't go off after the two times uh, maximum self-destruct period, then uh, this means that the self-destruct did not function. So you're still not allowed to uh, touch it uh, physically. So you are supposed to destroy it in C2. Uh, By the international mine action standards, the the butterfly mines, they are actually considered submunitions. So anything that has been deployed from a mother container, once it is deployed, it is unsafe to move and it has to be uh, destroyed in C2. For everything that you mentioned, like all the munitions that you mentioned that are in the fridges, in the microwaves, uh, 
anywhere else in the ha- in the house that is actually already considered a booby trap. And to clear a building from booby traps, uh, well, the the best solution that we can offer right now is pulling all the uh, all these like pulling all the fridges and so on and uh, all the uh, furniture in the house you have to pull it so that everything that has to go off will go off and you need to pull it in like a three-dimensional way so it has to rotate around each of the three axes basically Uh, and yes it might be like you have to inform the landlord the owner of that house that this is what the situation is we can only clear it by pulling there may be destruction destruction but this is the only way that we can say we can keep people safe and before doing that of course you need to evacuate uh, all people in a calculated area but yeah so far when it comes to booby traps the best solution that we can offer is pulling with hook and line no, that, that will be difficult. Once let's let's assume this is a situation, and I think and, uh, David alluded to that a little earlier. It's a situation where um, yeah, the troop is at the line of contact. They're essentially getting into another urban environment or taking a village, and they are starting to clear houses. Um, some of which may be under sniper control. Some of them may even still be full with uh, enemy forces and others right in front of them are neatly trapped. You're not going to ask anyone anymore, of course, you're in combat. But at the same time, you may also not even be able to move much. What do you do then? Just circumnavigate, don't go in, uh, try to avoid. But then you're guided by the minds of the booby traps. Yeah, it's an open question. What, what, what would you do? Well, that returns me back to one of the first uh, questions and answers that I uh, gave. So there is the military and humanitarian mine action. I cannot teach breaching. Uh, and if you, what you described is pretty much a frontline breaching operation. Unfortunately, I do not teach that. Uh, the this training center does not teach that. And I do not have the authority to, te- to teach that. So we're dealing with... Uh, the areas that have been liberated and where the so-called stability operations, so where not only the enemy pushed back, but also any sabotage elements that could have uh, been left behind, even those sabotage elements are also cleared out of the area. So this is what we call the permissive environment, and this is when humanitarian mine action can uh, kick in. Fair enough. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. <laughs> No, uh, thank you. So I actually do have a, 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 a question is to do with really pressure plates. So sometimes you can get a pressure plate could be put under anything, a, a floorboard, etc. But you can't really deal with that with uh, uh, with uh, uh, by pulling it hook and line because you may not even see it and you don't know what you what you're able to uh, uh, you don't even know you won't if it's been done properly you don't even know it's put there so how are you how are you are you able to say how you try and find them or is it that you rarely find these things well that's the point pressure plates are something that was very widespread in afghanistan middle east and it's also more of an ied than it is uh, about uh, like booby traps and munitions level three does not give you the right to deal with ieds that is an entirely separate course as well 
So, uh, and pressure plates are also uh, more specific to the Middle Eastern theater. Uh, maybe Yaroslav can correct me here, but I am not aware of pressure plates as a common um, practice in the liberated uh, areas. Yeah, actually, I agree with you, Uliana. It's uh, not a common item. So, so good news in some place then, right? So, so that, that and having not having those is uh, something as a common item. That's that's the only good news we're hearing. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Which brings me back to our friend Lesia. Let's talk about how we're going to do this because evidently Maria Aid needs a lot more support in order to get this going. What is your timeline again for, um, say, collating and uh, corralling the international donor community? Um, how can we assist? What can our community do? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, everybody uh, who uh, spoke today and uh, who listened, of course. Um, these kind of uh, um, moments where we get to uh, to share and interact are uh, are very uh, meaningful to uh, to bring to to uh, to light. You know uh, how. Uh, the, the realities uh, of uh, of working in this uh, domain. Yaroslave uh, um, and Uliano, duže djakuju vam. Ve prekrasno nam rozpovedale i i nam dale menš pišu javljenja jak jak to vse vegledaje. So thank you so much. Um, yes, so uh, um, very important uh, next steps. At the moment, we have 10 men and two women uh, who are completing uh, their uh, certification uh, to become trainers. This is the Train the Trainers program. And the next cohort is uh, is the one that we're really looking uh, to uh, to raise funds for. That's the $85,000 USD that uh, that will have to be raised uh, for for this uh, for this final 2023 cohort of uh, 10 people. Uh, on top of that, it would be wonderful if we could, in the coming months, um, also fundraise approximately thirty thousand dollars for the thousand thermite lances that uh, that we spoke of today. So uh, that 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 these two things uh, I w- I would say are the top priorities: the training for uh, November December for ten people and the thousand thermite lances. The best way, I think, in terms of uh, concrete, uh, you know, donations and donating towards this uh, would be to go to MariaAid.ca website. And, uh, you know, we, we do have one uh, in our drop down menu. There is a, uh, a, a one entitled uh, fundraiser and uh, a section on our website called fundraiser. And this is specific to that fundraiser, although anything that's donated uh, in the next weeks is going uh, directly to this particular uh to the, to these needs to the um the uh thermite lances and the training uh with the training being the priority because we really need to get these people uh this next cohort into into the classroom and into the field uh for the uh, theoretical um hands-on and all other elements of the program so that they are certified at the level three also, we it, it's very, very helpful and we always very appreciated when our uh, community um, boosts our, you know, our uh, social media and other and other communications. So this is always helpful. Uh, let your friends know if you can. One easy way to do that is to uh, to let people know about our Substack articles. That is also uh, 
can be found on our website under under a section called Substack. And these are short uh, newsletters, updates and whatnot, uh, usually uh, a four minute, three or four minute read uh, that just explains some of our projects and, uh, you know, kind of makes things uh, tangible as well. You know, uh, we have numbers in terms of uh, in terms of, who you know, large numbers of people we need to train and uh, and uh, specific cohorts, uh, the November, December one, for example. But then, uh, you know, in these Substack articles, we try to give a little bit more detail, to give a little bit more color, as we, as uh, Maria Report does so uh, effectively uh, on air. I try to do this uh, in our Substack articles, our Media Aids uh, Substack articles uh, on our website. So if you sign up for those, I think we've got about uh, I think uh, 700 people signed up and usually approximately 800 people reading these updates. And one will be uh, issued shortly on uh, about uh, EOD and uh, demining. So, uh, yeah, if you could boost those, that would be appreciated, too. Um, again, uh, thank you so much. Ulana, I have to say... <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you in front of so many people, but I have to say, I have to tell everybody here, every time I meet with Ulana, we usually do video calls when we can. Um, she is always smiling. When I write to her, she sends, you know, these wonderful emojis and positive messages. And I, I just really appreciate the uh, positive outlook. A lot of things we, we have to all deal with, uh, particularly Yaroslav, uh, Olana, other people uh, who do go out in the field, it's uh, really difficult and can be uh, just uh, excruciating. But I appreciate the uh, the positive outlook, and I I think it helps keep us all going. So I hope that uh, that um, you know the Substack articles also uh, and other communications. Uh, that we do have in our community uh, uh, help people, help raise spirits and uh, and help us uh, work together, uh, both in donations and boosting and good messages. So so just a big thank you to everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, for making me blush as well. <laughs> but I appreciate, let's say, your job and everyone who support uh, this initiative because there's unfortunately a lot of uh, clearing to do in Ukraine. So uh, all support is very, very much appreciated. Uh, thank you for your invitation. It's a big pleasure for me. Well, Yaroslav, it was uh, the pleasure for us to listen to you. Thank you very much. I would say it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. And it's definitely an imperative. We need to bring these stories to the world, and uh, we're very glad that you've been here. We hope that you will return and give us more updates as to um, how the training progresses and how this all works. And in the meantime, please, everyone, if you know someone who has loads and loads of uh, dough lying around, if you have a few ducats somewhere stashed away, you know where to go, mariaaid.ca, and have a little look-see as to how you can support them. And I would second that opinion. Uh, the uh, whatever aid you can, right? They're very incredibly brave people. There, we need uh, people training a little bit earlier when we would talk about the numbers. As you know, I like those back of the cigarette packet uh, calculations that we do, Axel. In the top of my head, I was just going, going to need. 10 20 thousand people uh, on this job uh, to uh, get that 
considerable area cleared, isn't it? It's a huge number of people. It's astonishing. If I may just add a little bit. Of course. I was just thinking, like, it is very important um, to... And it's easier usually from the people that I know, the donors that I know, it's easier usually for them to donate for something physical, like let's say a metal detector or, I don't know, protective equipment, something you can see, touch, count, uh, and so on. But um, I'm trying to also do like bring that message that, yes, it is good to have the equipment and thank God and thank the countries that... um, uh, they support us, like the government support us with a lot of equipment. But it is even more important, in my opinion, and it is more difficult to train a person who can use that equipment. Uh, you can buy equipment off the shelf, if we're talking, let's say, about the metal detectors. But you cannot just like find a person at, uh, at the clap of your fingers. So this is why I find uh, this project is so important because we're making, like we're investing a lot of efforts and time, but then these people will be able to work out there for decades and uh, clear not only my country, but I'm also sure that we will come up with innovative ideas. Like, you know, Ukrainians are creative. So I'm sure we will come up with innovative ideas and using the unmanned systems to clear like, other countries of the world that are suffering from the same issue and investing in education the uh, you could have as uh, you could have 10,000 uh, mind detectors but if you don't have 10,000 people who can use them then all they are doing is taking up space aren't they union exactly exactly thank you so much for understanding me I, I, I always like the idea of investing in education. And when you've educated someone and they said educated those train the trainers, then, then they can make more of them, right? Little baby trainers. That's true. And it's actually very nice to see uh, the people that we have trained before on the level three plus course, which is like. Oh, dear. I think we've just lost her. But I, I'm going to finish. I, I'm going to finish off. I say finish. I'm not going to finish anything. But I, I'm going to add what maybe Juliana was going to say. It's always a, a, a delight to see people when they progress, they move on, and you see people with talent, and dedication, and all of those things that you need to get on and do these things. And uh, you see them progress, and you go, "Gosh, that's great!" Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. So in closing, Lesia uh, Lubomir. What should we expect from Maria 8? Will you be coming here hopefully more regularly again so that we can bang the drum and make sure that there's uh, more awareness as to where to um, donate the money to so that this great, absolutely necessary effort um, can go on? Um, yes, we, we uh, are um, organizing a, an event here in Ottawa. It's uh, going to be a private event because we uh, want to start small and then we'll grow and, uh, you know, hopefully open up to the uh, broader community. But this will be a private event uh, uh, commemorating uh, the uh, Defenders of Ukraine Day. 
uh, coming up very soon. And uh, we hope to have a few people uh, there who would uh, commit to uh, joining us as well on this space. So, uh, uh, you know, there are, there are other uh, circles and networks that we'd like to tap into um, to bring people with experience and uh, with something, something to say and to contribute to this uh, conversation that, uh, that you have here in this community uh, that we have. So uh, we're very grateful to you and uh, we, we do hope to make it a regular a regular occurrence and as regular as we can uh, manage very well we shall be very glad to have you here anytime uh, get in touch let us know and we'll bring the message across thank you very much everyone Yaroslav, Uliana, Alesia, Lubomir it has been an absolute pleasure thank you thank you so much for the support and uh, very interesting questions looking forward for more <laughs> Excellent. All right. Slava Ukraini. Slava Slava. Slava Nazi. Slava Nazi.